Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit ByteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is a returning guest. Her name is Stephanie Jane, and today we'll be talking about her new book, Becoming Fierce, Creating a Bold and Beautiful Life. Humans live in an unparalleled time on the planet, and many have faced unbelievable challenges, ones that they never imagined that they, they would go through. It is time for a reliable compass and a North Star to help guide the travel-weary reader safely to the shore of our inner strength and vibrancy. As a psychotherapist, presenter, transformational coach, author, filmmaker, and radio show and podcast host, Stephanie has experienced what it means to live fully lit up and fully alive. She has gathered wisdom from some of the most amazing minds and serving hearts on the planet and have synthesized their wisdom with her own knowledge and experience to help amazing individuals just like you expand their vision of themselves and ignite their purpose. For more information, you can visit Stephanie's website, which is www.stephaniejames.world. Again, stephaniejames.world. Okay, with that, I'd like to welcome Stephanie to the show. Good day, Stephanie. Good day. Thank you, Robert, for having me. It is my pleasure. I I love um, chatting with you. You spark the imagination of the, the <laughs> listener, <laughs> which, of course, was your first word, and we talked about that. Um, but uh, anyway, um, the idea of becoming fierce and living a, a bold and beautiful life is really something I'm sure that the listeners um, would like to do. So I want to start with, um, you know, since this is bringing inspiration to Earth, what inspired you to write this particular book? Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. I, I have to tell you that I was actually being interviewed for my first book, um, The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life, and I was on Karen Curry Parker's show, and at the end of that interview, she said, well, what's next for you? And I said, well, I feel like there's a new book coming through. Um, I'm stopping at stoplights or stop signs, and I'm just writing on little pieces of paper. I have little notes of ideas coming through. And so we finished that interview, and afterwards she said, well, I need to let you know that my business partner and I own a publishing house, and we'd like to publish your next book. And so serendipitously, that just all of a sudden sparked, that happened. And when I met with her business partner, Michelle Vandepas, the next day, Michelle said, oh, my God, Stephanie, you are fierce. You are fierce. <laughs> and right then I said, oh, my gosh. You know, I'd, I'd been telling her about my life story. And when she said that, I just had that ping. I said, oh, my gosh, the book is becoming fierce. And that night I woke up about 1.15 in the morning and wrote the whole outline for the book. And so that's really how it came through. Wow. Don't you just love those serendipitous moments that it's like, it's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I've been wondering about this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the most, you know, as, as you know, too, when we're in alignment, those little serendipitous moments seem to happen over and over again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the show, uh, serendipity. But I want to start with, you know, one of the um, most uh, challenging parts of a book is coming up with a title. And it seems that yours kind of dropped in your lap, you know. And so let, can you tell us, um, and she, the, the publisher, talked about you as being fierce. So can you talk about your view of fierce is. Yeah, absolutely. 
because I think that there's really this misnomer that, you know, fierceness is being, somehow being aggressive. And the truth is, you know, for me, when I think of the word fierce, it's being passionate. It's living with purpose, living in full expression, authentically who you are. And so for me, um, that embodies what becoming fierce is all about, that it's truly, you know, igniting that fire within us and being as clear conduit as possible for all the love and healing possible to come through us to others in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, there is that tendency um, when one hears the word fierce, you know, to, you know, run right to that, that mean, aggressive, or violent, or confrontational kind of um, uh, force. Um, but fierce, you know, you talk about it being, you know, powerful, strong, um, and passionate. That, that is one, that is the, uh, the positive application of the, um, I guess it's a, a draw. Now, you also, in your book, you talk about power, you know, and power is another one of those like fears that some people um, sometimes look at negatively. So can you talk about, similar to fears, what your perspective of power is? Yes. You know, Robert, I really talk about, the importance of healing our relationship with power, because I think we also get this idea that in order to have power, it's power over something or power over someone. And instead, it's really about becoming empowered. You know, this is not an outside job. This is an inside job. So when we really get to that place, it becomes essential that we learn how to befriend ourselves, how to truly be empowered And part of that is having courage to be vulnerable. It's not just about, oh, I'm just going to power through everything. I mean, part of what creates power is the ability to really feel what we're experiencing in this world and to be able to really be real within ourselves, to be able to still ourselves enough so that we can listen to that inner GPS, which is our inner guidance. And those are the things, you know, as we start really befriending and taking care of ourselves and we develop a daily practice, where we show up for ourselves day after day and maybe we have, a, you know, a mindfulness or a gratitude practice and we exercise in the morning and we keep showing up for ourselves in those ways, we become an empowered person on this earth. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I, I like the, the empowerment, the empowerment, the kind of uh, empowerment. Uh, view uh, because it, you know, right now it seems that so many things that are happening outside our lives we don't control. You know, we, we really don't um, have, uh, I mean, we, the only thing we can control is ourselves. So, you know, when, when it comes mm-hmm. to, you know, it's really, I think it's important to recognize that, um, that internal power that I'm talking about. Um, now, um, we're kind of going back to this. One of the things you mentioned in your book is you talked about that we were born fierce, but things mm-hmm. change. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know when, you, when I read that, I was like, hmm, you know, I never really thought about that. So can you share with the listeners, you know, your perspective of that? Yes. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's like Don Miguel Ruiz wrote about this in The Four Agreements when he spoke about we have this wild nature that we're born with. You know, we're these free little spirits, and the essence of who we are is this really just beautiful, wild, curious spirit that's, you know, existing in the world. And what happens is, as Don Miguel Ruiz said, we become domesticated. And that means that we feel like we have to fit into all these societal norms, which, of course, we do to some extent. And we get these messages Mm -hmm. that I talk about in the book um, you know, even from my own experience where children are to, to be seen and not to be heard and we get these ideas about, okay, to be a lady or to be a, a man, you know, big boys don't cry, you know, don't be too smart as a woman. Um, you know, some of these things that really, some of them are very unspoken messages, but we really through modeling or through society, we're, we're given these messages of who we are and how we're supposed to be. 
And so we really start subduing ourselves because one of our strongest primal drives is to belong. And because that is so important, we start dulling ourselves down, if you were. So it's really important that it's not about acting out or anarchy or anything like that, but it's returning to that fierce nature within us that is that passionate part of us. Like when we were little kids, I can remember being just in love with butterflies and salamanders and I, I could literally, you know, we thank God, I, for two years I lived in Corvallis, Oregon, and our play, you know, our playground was the forest in our backyard. And so just being in awe of nature and so in touch with that and that aliveness that's within us, to me that's what's going to continue to give us fuel to return to that fierce sense of self. And when we were little, we didn't know a stranger, you know, little kids on the playground. I, I worked for a school district for 10 years. And so I would see these elementary school kids, brand new kid, walk up to a new one and say, hey, do you want to be friends? And instantly that was it. You know, they were friends. So that sense of just open-heartedness, courage, um, where we're really not afraid to be who we really are. So that's what I think the important is of, reigniting that fierceness within us because we've all lost some of that and so we lose that spark within us because of life circumstances or challenges so our work becomes how do we excavate that spark so we can live fully ignited yeah yeah very much now in your book you have uh a theory called the lollipop theory, <laughs> you know, speaking of children. Um, <laughs> um, I, I kind of smiled as I, I read that particular theory. I mean, you don't spend a whole lot of time about it, but I think it's kind of interesting. So would you mind sharing that with the, the listeners? Sure. You know, it's so funny because it, it's really true to me. I love this analogy because what it's about is that when we're little kids, that we are not embarrassed. We just love lollipops. Most little kids just love lollipops, and they're sitting there with this big slobbery thing in their mouth, and they don't care. They don't care who sees them with this lollipop. And then we get to this certain point around junior high, high school, maybe even a little bit of college, where we're too cool for lollipops. You know, we don't want people to equate us with being a child, so we're not going to have lollipops. And it's finally this place where we grow up enough where we realize I can have a lollipop if I want one, and it doesn't define me. So, again, it's that whole part of just, like, I can return to being playful. I can return to things that delight me or delighted me as a child, and it's really okay. It's not about how I'm presenting on the outside. It's being in alignment with who I am on the inside. Yeah, yeah, and I like like that. I mean, because, you know, everyone can – relate to their love or their experience with lollipops. So um, it was a, a good way to, to kind of re- give recognition uh, to that child experience, child perspective, I think, maybe better word for that. Well, yeah, yes. And, you know, and I would invite your listeners to think about what are the places that you used to go to that you absolutely enjoyed or what were the things that you liked to do as a child that really lit you up. I think retouching some of those places, not just in thought, but revisiting some of those. I mean, literally for my 50th birthday, I I have a trampoline. And so for my 50th birthday, I did front flips on the trampoline, Um, you know, just (laughs) Playing and and being able to be, you know, I have two beautiful grandsons, and that's we we get my dog on the trampoline, and then the the four of us jump together and just have such a wonderful time. So I, I think it's we have to learn that yes, I mean we live in such a serious world, and it's also okay to play and and really bring that joyful spirit back into our lives. So to really invite the listeners, inviting all of you, just think about what are those things whether it was, you know, laying on the carpet, listening to your favorite music or catching a ray of sunshine, you know, whatever it was that that just lit you up, revisit that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's important. And, of course, if you have kids or grandchildren around, it kind of really uh, 
makes it uh, much easier to um, to jump into that uh, kind of play, you know, because it's already going on. And and especially grandchildren, you know, I mean, there's, I I don't know what it is, but there's that one, you know, unconditional aspect that grandparent grandchild seems to um, to have, you know. I mean, I I've talked to countless people. When I ask them, like, you know, who was it in your family kind of thing that you, that gave you the most love? More often than not, it was like the grandmother or the grandfather. You know, I mean, parents mm-hmm. are important, but I think discipline aspect, you know, and a button pushing that, that, you know, parent-child relationship sometimes have, but that, that a, a grandparent and grandchild doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So with with the um, you know that that lollipop theory, we can you know kind of go back you know or remember our our childhood experiences. Now, in each of your chapters, you have a section called "Take a Moment," um, and I like that one because I've told people before I love books that help me apply what I've learned. So can you tell us? About, about that particular segment, why it's there, and what, what are some of the kinds of information that are contained in that particular segment? Yes. So I, I do it. Every, at the end of every chapter, I do have this take a moment because I think it's so important that not only are you reading the information, you, you're listening to the stories, you know, you're, you're getting this, you know, so many different ideas that I think it's important at the end of the chapter, like, how do I assimilate this into my own life? What can I do so I'm taking what I'm reading and what I'm learning and apply it to my own life? We know, like, when we make something personal like that, it sticks. And I think that's been one of my greatest joy is getting emails and and listening and hearing from different uh, readers that they did one of the activities and how it touched their lives. And one of the first ones being, you know, coming up with these goalposts in your life. Like, what were the substantial and meaningful things that guided you on your life? And really writing those down and being able to see that. And the difference that that makes in people's lives and gives them just huge perspective. And then they can also see, wow, I've had people come to me and say, I had no idea. I really had kind of this divine design of my life. And now I can see what was guiding me through all the way to the present moment. Those kind of things are really mm-hmm. rewarding. And so, and, and I'm like you, Robert, too. Like, I love, if I read something, like, I want to take it to that next level. And so, mm-hmm. in my first book, it was the same thing. I had five top takeaways from each chapter. And I just think it's important that there's exercises that you can do to make each chapter uniquely your own. Yeah, exactly. And if you, you know, if you don't, follow the exercise exactly, it's, it can stimulate you to um, create one that's, that's more, you know, more specific to yourself. I mean, and, you know, it's, it's an idea generator, you know, of what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and always it's like doing what resonates with you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's important. Now, um, you talked, uh, you mentioned a little bit about, um, as you're, when you're growing up, you know, and you kind of need to fit in and there's, you know, some assimilation, um, going on. Um, basically, those are the time, that's the period when many of our beliefs, um, are, uh, defined for, you know, we define mm-hmm. them, you know, and, and all of those around. So, you know, in the new book, you show the reader how to identify, change, and re-script limiting beliefs. So, let, let's talk a little bit about beliefs, you know, and the idea, first of all, that we even have limiting beliefs. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think the, the first thing that's important to, to understand is that, you know, we're all built with these brains that are really primitively hardwired. And so they're, they're hardwired for our survival. And so fight, flight, or freeze, you know, are, are what's going on in our brain continuously as our brains have this natural negativity bias. And it's always searching the environment for a threat. 
So I think it's important that we really get that, you know, negative things are held like Velcro in the brain. Our brain just holds on to them. Our memory holds on to them because we need them to stay safe. We need them to survive. And then positive experience or positive messages, it's like two fried eggs on a Teflon pan and they slide right off. So we have to do something to give the positive in our lives some stickability. Now, the thing that we know, too, is that the first seven years of life, we were in theta brainwave state. So we were so impressionable. We're like, you can think of it as being little sponges. And so the people that were around us, you know, or messages we were hearing either directly or non-directly, those messages were still getting in. We may have had parents that were really struggling financially, and we may have picked up the message wow, life is really hard or it's really hard to get ahead. Um, you know, someone may have teased us when we were little, and so we get an idea of something isn't right about me or I'm not good enough in some capacity. And, you know, being a psychotherapist and in the personal development um, industry for the last 33 years, I know that that's not good enough in one of its forms seems to be the most common belief and limiting belief that people have. Um, it's kind of like as you dig down underneath, that that tends to be a very, very common limiting belief. And so I think it becomes essential that we start doing things to really first identify what those negative beliefs are to really make them conscious, because so many of them are subconscious, right? And so really identifying them, getting them conscious, and then we can do a couple things. One thing is we can put what I call the lie to the test. We can look at those limiting beliefs and say, what is the evidence that supports those beliefs? Now, if it is that, you know, when I was eight years old, somebody at a birthday party said I was, you know, something negative, that's probably not a good enough reason for you to keep holding on to that, but the way that our minds work, you know, there's something called um, it's, it's emotional reasoning. So it's like if something happened to us and felt like a trauma when we were little and anything feels like that, then our mind by associated memory will hold on to that and say, yep, see, it's true. I really am not good enough. And our minds tend to, it's, it's believing, it's seeing, not seeing, it's believing. So if we believe we're not good enough, unfortunately, our brain is going to look for opportunities to, to uh, validate that. So, yeah. yeah, the essential work becomes how do we change into these positive beliefs. And I, I give some structure in the book for exactly how to do that, how we can start changing them, and not just into just, you know, blank affirmations. We know you could say all day, oh, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. That's not necessarily going to stick. I think it really helps to have, go through the format, and I, I describe it in the book as well, but like a prosperity mindset, ways that you're doing a daily reconditioning of these old limiting beliefs that no longer serve you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because those um, beliefs, you know, particularly if they um, started at a young age and, you know, you're someone like me in their 60s, you know, they have a long time to uh, get validated and, you know, or assumed or perceived to be validated, I should say. Um, so, you know, it seems that, you know, re-scripting those um, could be quite a challenge. So, but, so you're, you're proposing to do it in a kind of like a step-by-step um, basis. I mean, you know, like a little bit day at a time, maybe reframing um, what that belief was like into uh, recognizing something that you're doing or you've done that that, that is supporting the unlimited aspect of oneself. Yeah, sense? and, you know, Robert, I'll tell you even more directly what someone can do is once they've figured out mm -hmm. what their limited beliefs are, they can write, and, and this is the prosperity mindset practice, where you write down everything you're grateful for after you say, well, what is it that I want to believe instead? 
So let's say I want to believe that I'm fit and healthy and I eat really nutritional foods and I'm vibrant. You start this document, and I'll say it's a document because my prosperity mindset's about four pages long, and I read it out loud every morning. So what you're doing is you're reading out loud a statement, first of all, that is all your affirmations, but you're structuring it so it's in gratitude, like it's already happening. So if you mm-hmm. say, you know, I, so I'm so grateful and thankful I have the most wonderful thriving relationship. I'm so thankful for my healthy relationship with money, that I live a life of balance and ease and grace. So you go through all of that. And then if you want to really specifically get into some affirmations that you want to change these beliefs, you put the affirmation. So if I use that example and it's I want to be, you know, I not I want to be, but I am healthy and fit, underneath that I'm going to put a couple action steps so that I am really reinforcing that affirmation. So if I said I'm healthy and fit, and then number one I would say, I eat nutritional foods at every meal, and then I would say, I work out 45 minutes, four days a week. And so what that does is as we continue to repeat this, and we know it takes about 21 to 30 days for a thought or anything else to become a habit, if we're saying these statements out loud every morning to ourselves, what happens is by the 31st day, If we're reaching for a Twinkie and we've been saying for 30 days, I make healthy and nutritious food choices, something called Mm. cognitive dissonance happens. And we get this weird feeling and it makes us pause. And that pause is enough to start changing behavior. And as we change behavior, we truly change that belief about ourselves. Yeah. Now, I have a question. Now, in that particular example, um, where let's say, there's the affirmation, I am fit and healthy. Um, if I am not, <laughs> you know, would it not, like for me, when, when I do create affirmations, I would do something like I am getting healthier and more fit every day. You know, that, that I... Yeah. Because see, in that sense, I can I can recognize first of all that I'm a need to improve that, um, and number two that I am doing that. I'm not lying, you know. I, I am mm-hmm. doing that. It's it just um, it, to me, it, it's uh, it's easier for me to take ownership of uh, the feeling of let's say, um, I am fit or I am healthy, it's easier for me to say, take ownership of it if I know that, you know, that I'm not there, but I am getting better every day, you know, because, because I can actually see that, you know, whereas if I were to look in the mirror and say to myself, you are fit and one heck of a guy, um, you know, that, uh, <laughs> I <laughs> you know, you're getting better. But um, so anyway, that's just my, for me, when it comes to affirmations, how I kind of like to do that. Well, I love that. I love that. And I think anytime you can put an action word in there, like I am working or I am excited about being more fit every day, something like that, I think that's beautiful. Um, yeah, and I, I think, again, it's very individualized, right? Some of us, you know, it's, it's, we're wanting to just improve to the next level. And so we might already be fit and healthy to some extent, but we need to do that little tweaking. We might really need to clean up our diet or we might really need to increase our gym time or whatever that is. And that's why those little action steps become really helpful in implementing that because you're not going to say that to yourself and then you don't follow through. You know, if you're saying that to yourself yeah. every morning, there's a higher percentage that you're going to take that action step and you're actually going to do that. So in, in essence, what we're doing as we're, you know, writing things, things out and really saying these things is we're building a relationship with ourselves. And that's one of the things I really speak about in the book is how to befriend yourself. And it really has to do with showing up for yourself day after day, making yourself a priority in your own life and following through. 
And as we follow through, we truly do build a trusting and loving relationship with ourselves because we can rely on ourselves. It's like, oh, yeah, I have my own back. And I just think that's so yeah. essential. Um, yeah. Well, we are uh, just halfway through the show, um, Stephanie, so I want to take a quick break. Um, and, and I do want to invite you to if you'd like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. Um, and then when we return from the break, Stephanie, I want to uh, talk about um, finding your inner roar. <laughs> uh, I couldn't help it, but, you know, Katy Perry. Popping in the mind. <laughs> so, uh, I love uh, it. Go yeah, I'm going to take a minute and uh, we'll come back after this break, okay? Sounds great. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. And today, my special guest again is Stephanie Jane, and we're talking about her new book, Becoming Fierce, Creating a Bold and Beautiful Life. Um, again, you can find out more about this book and all the other things that Stephanie has to offer by visiting her website, which is www.stephaniejames.world. Okay, with that, we're back, Stephanie. Great to be here. Thank you. So, uh, again, like I said, uh, finding your inner roar. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> that it's just not for women. So. Tell, tell us a little bit, you know, about the idea of, you know, the inner war and being able to speak authentically. Yes. You know, and I think, thank you, Robert. I think what you just said is really essential because this book is for men and women. Absolutely. I mean, this is applicable to all of us. And the importance of really being able to share our authentic self is getting in tune with that, you know, inner roar. And that's that passion that we have. That's, you know, when, when we're stunted sometimes and we feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm not saying what I really feel. I'm not expressing myself correctly. I, I think there's times where we really hold ourselves back. And, again, I think we've been enculturated, if you will, to not be always that full expression of ourselves. So it just becomes essential that we allow ourselves to do just that. Um, when and, and I give an example of this, actually, in the book, um, about a time where I was actually on vacation with my boyfriend at the time, and we were in Cabo San Lucas, and what had happened is we were at a dinner party, and at that dinner party, um, one of the one of the speakers was getting up to speak, and as he was getting up to speak, a girlfriend and I had been talking, and we were laughing, and he became really angry about that. And the next day, as I he and I were getting ready to go whale watching, um, he said something funny, and I laughed again, and he just snapped at me. And we've been dating for about mm -hmm. six months, and I had never seen this part of him. 
And he really, he was just like, why do you have to be so loud? And I'm not a loud person at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, I definitely have a real laugh and, and um, that's something true about me. Um, and um, it really shut me down that day. And it really, it, it re-wounded that little girl inside of me that had to sit for two hours of time at my grandparents' table, at my father's parents' table, and you literally, children were to be seen and not heard. And so we would have to eat with the grown-ups, and then when we were done, we weren't allowed to talk or leave the table, and we just had to sit there. And so that thing of, like, not being able to express ourselves um, and how important it is to just find that inner voice and speak our inner truth, you know, walking and talking and living in alignment with our highest self, I just think that that's how we can inhabit the earth, fully empowered. So, you know, I talked in the book about Sarah Edmondson, and she was in the Nexium cult. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. No. But she, about, you know, okay, yeah. You did something on, on branding or something? That? Or yes, no, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, Yes, and, and it, it was an HBO special called The Vow um, that she was in, and I had interviewed her on my show, she and her husband actually both, and I was just so blown away by the courage that it took when she finally uh, was branded, um, and this is this cult by Keith Ranieri, which was, I mean, millions of people were affected by this. This was a really high-profile celebrity-involved cult, mm-hmm. and people didn't know it was a cult. Um, so just the courage that it took for her to find her inner voice, her inner roar, and to be able, she was one of the whistleblowers, one of the main whistleblowers who helped bring him down. I think he's serving five 25-year terms um, for what he was doing. I mean, in the end, it really it was this horrible sex cult. And, yeah. you know, there, there's times when, our inner roar might be like with myself, just finding my voice. You know, the next day when I was able to say, wow, I was really hurt. I had just huge tears in my eyes, you know, um, there at Cabo and realized, wow, I don't want to be shut down anymore. Um, and so the importance of whether it's, oh my gosh, I got to speak my truth because you, she literally brought the whole cult down. You know, us speaking our truth is essential. And that's why I feel like this inner roar also is essential. And I would love to share the excerpt of this poem that I wrote um, right after that situation had happened to me in Cabo. It was kind of a way for me to reclaim um, what had happened after I feel like I lost my voice that day that we were going whale watching. So this is what I wrote. Recently, I was told by someone that I have a loud voice and that I laugh too loud. I am sorry if my joy and my exuberance for life makes you feel uncomfortable or puts you in touch with your own lack of authenticity. I am not rude or obnoxious with my voice, nor have I been a person that yells at others. But I will not live my life in a polite little box or minimize my vibrancy because women are meant to be seen and not heard. I will not dim the shine on my soul that finds expression in this world so I can fit into someone else's mold of what it means to be a lady. I will not be silenced or shushed because people cannot tolerate the unexpressed vibrancy in themselves. I will continue to shine, express, exude, emit, emanate, radiate, and experience my joyful spirit manifest in this world. I will will continue to bring all the kindness, love, and healing to this world I can possibly muster. I will continue to be unapologetically myself. Life wasn't meant to be lived in muted tones at volume two. Life is meant to be lived out loud. Crank it up. (laughs) I love that. That's great. I mean, you can feel the power in the work. You know, as you're reading them, you know, it, it just, um, you can feel it, you know. And if a listener can feel it, I can only imagine the um, strength that it does for the person saying it. 
you know, um, and, mm-hmm. and writing that. So, and now I have to ask, um, did you ever, did you clear it up with your boyfriend at the time about the laugh? Yeah, yes. I mean, we did at the time, um, but our relationship was never the same. I mean, it really was because, you know, he had expressed to me several times how he couldn't get in touch with his own vibrancy and how that was so hard for him mm-hmm. and how much he loved that about me. So then to get shut down about that, I think it did change things yeah. dynamically between us, for sure. Uh, I, I, and, I, I, he is no. no longer my boyfriend. The reason I kind of asked that question is because you also, in your book, you have a a section that you talk about purge what doesn't serve, you know, so mm-hmm. um, and I was thinking serving, <laughs> so he must have meant purge, uh, but can you, can you talk to us about um, just the idea of of purging oneself of you know, attachments, whatever they be, be experiences, mm-hmm. beliefs, or individuals even. So can you talk about the, the importance of that and, and how can we do that um, that serves us best? Yes, perfect. I, I think that it goes so well, Robert, with what we've been talking about because um, it's this thing of purging, and I love the exercise where you're purging, you look at what are negative beliefs that don't serve me anymore, what are negative behaviors that no longer serve me, and also, what are negative relationships that no longer serve me? And while it can be difficult, I, I think it's really essential that we learn how to disconnect, you know, how, how to distance ourselves with love from those people that are really toxic in our lives and also from those beliefs and behaviors that don't serve us. They're not helping us to become the best version of ourselves. So they're first just by identifying them, right? Awareness is always the first key to healing it. So I think that that is such a powerful exercise, writing down in columns what really I need to purge, what is no longer serving me. And that can really be the first step. Yeah. And and like you said, to do it with love, (laughs) you know, because it's, um, I think one of the toughest, um, challenges that we encounter is, is uh, cutting ties with individuals with whom we've had decades of experience, but mm-hmm. but no longer serve. Um, because it's uh, I mean I've, I've talked to and seen many people who do the route of you know either they like, completely purge the person from their life. You know, and, and, but then there's various uh, versions, you know, well, not at uh, family dinners or, you know, I'm only going to spend 10 minutes with them at a time. You know, I mean, there are different ways of, um, I guess, purging or degrees mm-hmm. of purging. Um, and so, but, it, it, but it's difficult, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's for for someone who has maybe gone through and recognized that their long-term, let's say their long-term relationship is no longer serving them, um, how, how, what, what is, um, what's the best way to determine whether it's uh, salvageable, you know, or, or, or the purge needs well, I think, you know, one of the important and essential pieces about that is really looking at the longevity of the issue and how have you tried to reconcile it. And if it has not, you know, if it's been failed attempt after failed attempt after failed attempt. Um, wow. You know, I, I obviously I'm one of those people that believes in the power of transformation and that people can change. And I also have to say there are people that I've worked with that, I've been a couple therapist for the last 15 years, and there are times when I've said to a couple, you know, I don't think either one of you are willing to do the work to make this work. I, I don't know how to help you have a happy marriage. I can help you have a happy divorce so that you're pleasant mm-hmm. and kind to one another, 
Um, and, and I'm definitely not an advocate for divorce, let me tell you. Um, and we know any time that there's any kind of abuse going on, physical abuse, emotional abuse, that relationship is not serving us and that people need to really get the support they can to exit that relationship as soon as possible. Um, and I do think that this is one of these things where people really have to go within to really look at, because we're in a disposable society, we don't want to dispose the people that are really our heart tribe. You know, this, these are people that are truly connected to us. So this isn't about getting mad at somebody and then saying, oh, I'm going to purge this relationship. You know, this is something that's been ongoing. It's something that has really, you can look at yourself and say, wow, I've really emotionally suffered. I'm continually emotionally suffering. This, you know, this has continued to be an issue in my life. And every time I'm around this person, we can do the example of like a friend. If I'm around somebody and every time I'm with them, I come away and I'm drained or I get that feeling of dread before I'm showing up to do something with them, I really need to examine that relationship. What is my purpose for being in that relationship? Um, sometimes we stay in relationships out of obligation or we want to do the right thing. We want to be seen as a good person. And those aren't always the correct motivations when the cost is really to our well-being. So yeah. there's not a one-size-fits-all for this by any means. And I think it's really it's, it's such an essential piece in creating the kind of lives that we want um, to be able to detach with love. And that when I say that, I'm so sincere. What what that means is that we don't have to be mean. We don't have to be, you know, ghost somebody. You know, I have these young clients that talk about being ghosted where someone just refuses to respond to them. That's not the appropriate way to do this. But when we can really address it with someone and say, hey, this is really what's on my heart, you know, whether or not that person receives it, to be able to say, I care about you, you know, I, I think you're important, and this is what I need to do right now to take care of myself, which might be, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend this time focusing on me, and this this relationship, you know, is just something that I'm going to right now release or maybe forever release. Um so I think I think it's essential to really be honest with ourselves first and then to be able to be honest with the other person. And I feel like one of the joys in my work has been also helping people that are in toxic relationships as they exit those relationships and then seeing them, you know, in their lives. I have so many people that after I work with them, whether it's in coaching or therapy, that will get back in touch with me years later and say, oh, my gosh. I let go of that toxic relationship, and I ended up getting the greatest job and moving to my ideal place and then met the most wonderful person. And because I allowed myself, you know, I gifted myself that space in my life, that healing in my life, and I valued myself. I said, I'm worth it to step out of this toxicity. I was able to create this life I never knew was available to me. And so those are the things yeah. that just light me up so much to be able to be witness to people's huge transformation when they're able to let go of those kind of relationships. Yeah, that's wonderful, you know, to be able to do that. And and I've known people who have um, done that, you know, and, and, you know, when you're in a toxic relationship, sometimes it's very hard to see that it's toxic, you know, um, mm -hmm. when you're kind of, um, it can be difficult. Um, but that's again where you talk about, you know, having to go inward and really kind of um, examine, you know, the relationship, you know, but, but um, you know, I, and I have seen people who just continually will stay in it, you know, even, even knowing that it's toxic, um, it seems that the fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some people from doing that and, um, but it's a, it's a hard thing. But once, you know, once you, you know, once you fly, you know, you, you know, it's hard to, you know, not want to do that again or, or make your life all about that. Well, I think you're exactly right. And it's, you know, and you're, you're, none of this is easy work. You know, people say, oh my gosh, you know, this is so difficult. Well, you know, it, it, 
everything we do that's worthwhile, you know, our growth edge oftentimes is a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit painful. So, you know, this growth edge of being able to let go and exactly what you said, moving into the unfamiliar, our minds all of a sudden are like, wait a minute, I don't have a model for that. I don't have a framework for that. So we can experience some anxiety. And when we tell ourselves, oh, yeah, that's normal. My brain is just doing what's normal because there's nothing predictable. One of the ways that we start creating that predictability is we can really start envisioning that life that we want to create. So, you know, you can yeah. do whether it's a, a dream board to start looking at images or Natalie Ledwell has a phenomenal mind movie where you can do it all online and music and pictures and really start creating a vision for yourself of what you want. I think that can become extremely helpful in helping people to move ahead. And to your point, I think people stay in relationships and just out of that fear sometimes. And one of the things that I think can be helpful is listing not pros versus cons, but cost versus benefit of being in the relationship. Mm. What is the cost to your emotional, physical, you know, spiritual well-being? What are the benefits in this relationship? And oftentimes I'll have people in my office, and it's like as if we had this on a scale, and they're listing all these really, really negative things about this relationship. <laughs> on one side of the scale, it's weighing the scale down really heavily. And then on the other side, they might say, but I love her. And then that <laughs> takes all this weight, you know. And, and it's like, well, yeah, and you know what? Love isn't enough. I mean, I, my life is all about love. I, I love love, and I'm so clear, love isn't enough. So we have to go yeah. beyond that in order to have a healthy and sustainable relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, like it um, when I read in your book that you've heard people say, well, you you have you've got it all together. That's easy. This is easy for you. <laughs> and, and then you you wrote all the kind of the truth is we never arrive at all together. So I think you know you know people. It's a good thing for people to keep in mind that it's, there isn't the final destination is not right here. You know, but um, that uh, you know it's. Um, Everyone has challenges that they're going through, whether you can see them or not. Absolutely. And I feel like this book, more than my first book, really shares a lot of my own personal experiences. Um, I haven't shared a lot of them on the show. However, you know, I, I can briefly say, you know, the hardships and challenges that, that I have faced have continued in my life. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and it doesn't just, like you said, the work doesn't just end. And the wonderful thing is, though, as we begin nurturing these relationships with ourselves, as we begin showing up more authentically ourselves, the triggers become less and less, and we're living a life more full of abundance, joy, you know, and, and really having these beautiful moments become more and more frequent. Serendipity shows up more frequently. Um, you know, and, and so I think there's really an important chapter that we didn't really get to, but this whole thing of surrendering, to me, I always call it divine, but it could be the universe, nature, higher power, whatever that is for people. And, and when we do that, we quit trying to control everything. Actually, what starts happening when we trust life to show up for us or the universe or the divine, we start really getting this inner guidance. I call it our inner GPS so that we are making decisions that truly are in coherence with our heart and that life path starts opening up really beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. And and you we didn't get into the surrender aspect, but that is a, a really great part of the book as well as, you know, to talk about serendipity. Um, so we're, we're actually down to the very end of the show, but there's one more thing I just kind of wanted to get your take on. And that was, yeah. it, it, it has to do with, um, uh, let me get the exact word here. Um, you talk about um, having the need for people to stop believing in the fear narrative. Um, mm -hmm. It's all around. I mean, you know, for two years, people, you know, we're living with fear. I mean, heightened the fear. 
um, yeah. for their health and, and life. So, so tell us, I mean, that's so why I see it all around us. I mean, personally, you know, and, and I recognize when, when I see it, it's like, ah, oh, you know, why, why are they doing that? But tell mm -hmm. us about perspective of that fear narrative and, and how we can, um, once we're aware, you know, that people are feeding us worry and fear and, you know, offering that up, what we, how we can not buy into it, you know, how, how we can shift that, shift away from that. Yes. So great, great question. I feel like one of the most essential pieces is literally I, I invite all my clients to take a vacation from the news. You know, we don't need to listen to it first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and particularly because that's what we talked about. That's when we're most susceptible to whatever information we're receiving. So it makes us feel really stressed and can really tap us into fear because they are fear-mongering. You know, that, that's what grabs the stories is to be able to have something scary or fearful come on the news. So if, if you, for the first hour of your day, can start your day out in a very different way, not checking your Instagram, not checking Facebook, staying off your computer, and instead focusing within, I think that becomes essential because the way that stress and anxiety gets perpetuated is when we're thinking about something in the future and we can't control it. It's not happening now, but we start having anxiety like, oh, my gosh, if we're playing the what-if game, this could happen. What if this happened? What if that happened? None of it's happening now. And the same thing happens when we're ruminating about the past. We can't control it. So I think one of the greatest things we can learn how to do is bring ourselves to the present moment. That will help give yeah. our bodies a chance to truly ground, and it can be as simple as four square breathing, where you breathe in for four, hold for four, exhale for four, and hold for four. You can do that over and over again, and that will enact your parasympathetic nervous system, and you'll begin to relax. And the other thing I invite people to do is just for 10 minutes, spend five minutes where you just sit on the floor with your back against the sofa, it could be against a wall, and just have a mindfulness practice of breathing down literally into your rear end, into your legs, where you're feeling yourself really connected to the floor. And that's all you do. You just keep bringing your energy down, bringing your energy down. And then if you set an alarm after five minutes, set an alarm for another five and just lay flat on the ground in Shavasana, which is the yogic term where at the very end of practice, you're lying flat on your back with your palms up and you're just receiving. And so when we do that, it's a very simplistic practice. Again, we make so much of this so difficult and really to bring that parasympathetic nervous system on board and to relax ourselves, to be in the present moment. Most of the time, this moment's pretty good. Um, so, so much of the, the fear and the negativity is just created by our mind. So that's, that's yeah. my invitation, you know, to really help people bring themselves here to this moment. Take a deep breath in, even right now, wherever they're at. Take that really deep breath in and exhale slowly, slowly, slowly out. And feel yourself begin to reconnect with your breath and reconnect and ground within yourself. That's how we can move away from fear. Good. That's good. I just, you know, and the thing is, is everyone has this handy. <laughs> it is in you. It's not a penny, you know, for you to get. So, um, That's right. It's, you know, it's always available to us. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, this is truly been a delight. I really want to thank you for your time today. Um, I've enjoyed becoming serious, and it really is a, a good handbook for folks to be able to, um, you know, kind of get that voice and start to roar um, and, and be empowered. So, um if people want to reach you, they can through your website, stephaniechange.world. But also you have a podcast, correct, on BBS Radio, uh, The Spark. Mm -hmm. Tell us how they can hear it. Yeah. Yeah, on, on BBS Radio, plus it's dropped as a podcast. So on all the formats, Spotify, iHeartRadio, 
um, Apple Podcasts. It's, it's available on all platforms. And my new movie, my new film is out on the More You channel on Plex Network called When Sparks Ignite. Right now it's playing every Friday all the way through August. And it is about the challenging times that we face and how those difficulties and challenges be- can become the match point within us that ignites something that then becomes our gift to the world. And so it's, it's just a phenomenal documentary made with 12 different thought leaders and change makers around the world, and you get kind of a behind-the-scenes look at them, and really with that essential message, again, that your healing matters. And as we heal, then we become those conduits for more healing and love to come into the world. So that's on the More You channel on the Plex Network. It's on at 8 o'clock Pacific Time, 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. I'm great. Well, thank, great. Thank you for your time, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Robert, for having me back. Wonderful to be with you. It's my pleasure. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Stephanie Jane. We've been talking about her new book, Becoming Fierce, Creating a Bold and Beautiful Life. And, again, you can find out more about that book, uh, her first book, The Spark, and also her film and information about a coach. All of that is available on her website, which is www.stephaniejames.org. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.